Hello, and thanks so much for joining me for another edition of Face the Facts. I'm your host, April Moss. Today, we're going to be talking with scientist Dr. Simon Hodak, and he was a scientist at a Dutch university in the Netherlands during COVID, uh, the outbreak of COVID-19 in the very beginning. We're going to be discussing all about uh, that series of events, which ultimately led to him losing his job there. But also, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Dr. Hodak. You're going to be able to find him on Telegram. We'll have all of this information for you in the details of our podcast and also underneath this video as well. Dr. Simon has a PhD in biotechnology with a background regarding complex systems, system dynamics, human metabolism, and with a special concentration on vitamin D and also aquaponics. So he has a unique perspective. And as a scientist, he's going to give us uh, some of his data that he has worked on regarding vitamin D and its health benefits in the body, especially as that pertains to uh, COVID-19 and any other illnesses that you might get. Before we get into today's interview, a word from our sponsors. This edition of Face the Facts is brought to you by MyPillow. When you shop at MyPillow.com and use promo APRIL at the checkout, you'll get up to 66% off. Go to MyPillow.com today and use promo code APRIL at the checkout. Dr. Simon, thank you so much for joining me today on Face the Facts. So glad that you're here. You've been such a bright light um, in the midst of a lot of darkness during COVID-19, where you weren't afraid to speak out and it even cost you your job at the Dutch University. Could you please tell everybody a little bit about your background and your story um, and how you got to be so outspoken against the narrative that we've heard from the government? So... Yeah. Hey, hey, April. Um, thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, well, my background, I, I did a PhD in biotechnology, um, biochemistry, biotechnology, um, system thinking. I even did some modeling during my PhD. So that's my background. So I was working on aquaponic systems and the metabolism of fish and human beings. So us. And um, I was working my field. I'm very successful in my field. I'm the most cited uh, scientist in the world in my field. I published a book with 1.3 million downloads. So I've been successful in what I do. And I actually wanted to continue what I do because I like what I do. I like to um, do research on on food, on health, etc. And I never planned to speak out and to reveal the truth, you know, what we call the mm -hmm. truth. But I slipped into it. So in the beginning, of course, I, I, I bought the story because um, I saw the videos in, in, from China, you know, people dropping on the streets. Uh, they came up with Bergamo in Italy and they say, look, it's really dangerous. And I didn't, I didn't really look into this, but uh, yeah, I never wore a mask because I, I knew from uh, <laughs> that, that masks don't work. So I didn't wear a mask. I was like, okay, they're exaggerating. They just want to show people there's something dangerous around, just like signaling, etc. Um, but at some point when I look deeper into issues, um, yeah, I was I was writing a Twitter thread. So it was one half years ago in January 21. And I had a Twitter account, a small one. I, I think I followed 
50 people and I had five followers, something like this. So <laughs> nothing spectacular. I was like the uh, first name bunch of numbers, you know, account. And I was just writing down what I observed. And it's like about the peer review process of, of Drosten's PCR paper. Um, during that time, I was an editor of a, of a journal, of a scientific journal with an impact factor of higher than one. Um, so it was quite a good journal and uh, I know what a peer review process looks like and I was writing it down I was like okay this couldn't be I mean like he was doing the peer review or like he was publishing the 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 paper in a journal where he's on the editorial board within 24 hours and I mean from submission to publications 24 hours and I was like oh, it must be it must be a mistake that probably it's a typo or whatever and then I looked into this with a Dutch data analyst and it was really true. It was 24 hours. Uh, so I did some more research and I was writing a thread about it on Twitter. I was just like saying, look, this is what happened and this is my experience. This is how it works. And that it usually takes between six months and one and a half years, two years. Right now I have a publication um, in peer review um, for two years already. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's long, it's on the longer side, but um, 24 hours is impossible. It's literally impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I figured out that he was on the board of editors, yeah, alarm bells were ringing. So I was just writing this thread and I gained thousands of followers overnight. And I, I didn't plan to do it. I didn't plan to, to uh, ask for attention or um, to get attention at all. But people kept on asking and my account grew and grew and grew until I uh, almost reached 50,000 and they nuked me. So that was more or less the so story. So dropped your account when you had 50,000 followers, just about. It was 45,000. So I had a, I had my main account, 45,000, and then had another one with 15,000. And they nuked me. Yeah, they just suspended me. Um, For so I sued Twitter. Posting, I mean, what kind of, you were going through this man's analysis his reviewed study mm. yes i was just going through it and i was also posting what's about vitamin d about other publications mm -hmm. about health stuff and i was i had a very critical account i had i think an average four or five thousand likes per tweet wow. i was formulating it very carefully still and they kicked me for targeted harassing and i was like yeah. this can't be uh, this can be. So I took a lawyer. And at the end, it turned out that it wasn't targeted harassment. So they just made it up. And they said it was about a tweet that I said that viruses usually get weaker over time. I said usually. You know, I didn't say always. I said usually. Right. And it's, totally, it's totally correct. Which as a and, scientist. <laughs> yeah, I'm allowed to say that. Right. And it's correct. It's nothing right. wrong. But they, they brought it up. And also they accused me of spreading... Um, misinformation with vitamin D. I'm an expert in vitamin D. I would consider myself because I have peer reviewed publications about vitamin D. And they said medical misinformation. Um, even Fauci in his emails admitted that he takes vitamin D because it's it helps <laughs> regulating the immune system. Yeah, this so is they nuked me for that. Basic. Yeah, and, and the what the judge said, he said, well, it's up to Twitter who they want to have on their platform. So it's not about what I'm allowed to say or not. They can just nuke whoever they want to. So this is what I figured out. And I was like, hey, uh, uh, screw them. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I got, a, I got a second account, a third account, a fourth account. They always nuked me after after I reached 10,000. So I, I'm kind of giving up. It doesn't make sense um, to continue being on this platform. That's why I'm on Getter now. 
I'm on I'm on yes. Telegram. Yeah, that's why I don't get censored. Yeah, no, it's so much better on there too. I mean, the quality of people on there is so much nicer as well. So tell me a little bit about how you lost your job though, because you made a shift from the Dutch university to now you're working for, um, you know, a research institute. Mm, a private one now. So um, losing, it's, it's, it's a bit more complex. So as a scientist, you usually apply for your own funding. It's not like in the good old times when the state says, okay, you just work at our university, you will work there forever and you get a contract for 10, 20 years. So I got myself funding at this university for a three-year project and the funding was running out. So the project was running out. We were finishing the project. Um, so what I did, I took my free time and I looked for funding calls, for, for calls. We call them calls and I wrote a proposal for several million euros, which is the same as several million dollars. And I was writing it in my free time. So I was every evening, two, three hours, I was, I was writing on this proposal for several months and I submitted it. The chance to get the money is usually at EU projects around two, two, three percent. But I got it. Okay, so I got the money. <laughs> so I got the university lots of money. And it's an unwritten rule that the person who writes the proposal gets the job. Um, it, it's it's always been like this. But the university in this case said, like, we didn't like what you said. So we're going to give the money you got us to someone else. So it's oh not directly losing a job. So because otherwise I could have sued them. But that way they just broke an unwritten rule. So just took the money that I generated and they gave it to, gave it to someone else. And of course, I've wrote, I talked to some professors privately and they said like, yeah, it was like from, yeah, they were told that I couldn't stay at the university any longer. I don't know who told them, but maybe mm -hmm. someone from the ministry, someone from the administration. But um, yeah, they, they didn't like what I said. Um, and I mean, uh, what I did is literally um, criticizing Marion Koopmans, who is a... Dutch pseudoscientist and she was on the peril of the CCP and she was co-author of Kristen Drosten's PCR paper of so course. I was calling her out I was like saying on Twitter hey I was tagging her so like hey do, do, don't you don't you think it's weird that you publish a paper within 24 hours and I was I just want to get a reply because if I were co-author at a paper and we would submit it and the next it would be published I would be shocked I would like I would say hey there's something going there's something wrong mm -hmm. i would question this but she she was totally fine with this but now i know why because she's she she was so corrupt that she i mean she got money from the chinese communist party and she was kicked out of the who committee etc etc so um she's obviously a corrupt, corrupt person but she's still supported by the dutch government she's still on all the tv shows you know it's like the dutch it's, fauci it's interesting because correct me if i'm wrong but wasn't the Netherlands one of the first countries that had, you know, almost a 100% vaccination rate in their people? I don't know. Um, yeah, I, think I thought Portugal that they were one Europe. of the countries that had a very high level of vaccination status. Um, what was the overall, I know you said in the very beginning, you were seeing what was coming out of China and out of Italy, and you were scared. I remember that same feeling, um, truly, when we didn't know what this was. And it took about three weeks for me to realize that what was happening across the world was beyond just a virus, but was something much more 
sinister. Um, and that's when I began to, to become aware of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum and the 2030 agenda, all of these things. Um, but Simon, you've been looking through all of this data as we've gone over the last year and a half. And I know that you and I have, have discussed about just the censorship, not only that you've experienced on Twitter as a scientist, uh, but also the censorship of effective treatments. And just recently, the NIH ended up um, quietly putting on their website that ivermectin is a uh, antiviral treatment that's effective. Um, and now we're seeing even out of California that Governor Gavin Newsom wants to basically punish doctors who uh, go against the narrative. They, he wants to punish them for COVID misinformation. Um, Simon, do you think that with all of the people that are in your camp, they're truth tellers, they're doctors, scientists, respected people in their fields, do you see um, any headway being made uh, that you can tell in the people around the world who are rising up against all of this government propaganda? Mm, I think what you call censorship is to 90% self-censorship. Because almost all of us have a job, you know? There are just a few people who are totally independent and they don't rely on, on money from the government or projects, etc. So many people I know, they either um, make a pseudonym uh, on social media or they just be, they're just very careful of what they say. So for example, they wouldn't say, oh, um, the vaccine, or they wouldn't say the gene therapy most likely kills pe more people than, than the disease itself. No, they would say, oh, they would, they would say it in a different way. They would say, oh, well, maybe the vaccine isn't that effective, you know, because they, mm -hmm. it's very hard to raise questions in a very direct way. So you have to do it indirectly, indirect speech, indirect talking. And this is what, what, what I think is a problem. So I also have to be careful. Imagine I, I say something very, very straightforward and the research institute would say like, hey, you were saying this on social media, I could get into trouble. But I mean, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. still, I'm, I'm still saying that. <laughs> still yeah. saying what I think because it's freedom of, of expression and um, nobody can judge me for that, I think. But um, there are many, many, many professionals who agree with what I say, but they just can't make it public. For example, I can just tell you in Germany, it's like that. If you're, if you're an MD and you, for example, publicly say that masks don't work and masks don't work, they make it worse. They probably even kill, I think so. Mm -hmm. um, they would probably lose their job or they couldn't, they have to, they have to close their, their place, etc. Right. So even though we have multiple studies that show that masks are ineffective and even can cause greater damage. They call it cherry picking. Mm -hmm. So what they say is, oh, you just pick these studies, but there is a study with mice or hamsters in a laboratory environment showing it helps. That's the only study they can show. And if I come up with 100 studies, they say, no, it's cherry picking. So um, this, this plurf argument um, they bring up is, is very hard to counter. It's very hard to counter. And coming up with data is very hard to counter. It's like fighting against a belief. If you're a Christian and I'm like, I don't know, Muslim, and I'm, I'm telling you, oh, no, it's Muhammad who's, who was like the prophet, you know, and you said, no, it's Jesus. You never, you will never agree with each other. And and I think the 
other side, like those very strict COVID supporters or measure supports, they act like being part of a sect, part of a very extremist religion. And you can come up with arguments, you can come up with, uh, with rational ideas, they will never accept them. No, you're exactly right, because they're already very set on what they think is truth and what yes. their truth is. Yeah, but I mean, like, regarding truth, I mean, I think truth is a very difficult word because what, what we actually want to know is something that goes very close to the truth. I mean, they call us truther and we say, wanna, we want to spread the truth, but I also think that what we are spreading is not 100% truth. It's also part belief. But... As we look into the data, I mean, our camp looks more into the data than the other one. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure because the data they show is mostly from biased studies. So when we come up and we just ask questions regarding the efficacy of the of the mass, of the vaccine, of whatever, you know, um, mm -hmm. they don't come up with data. They actually try to not to generate data. So I know in the US, they also try to not have anti-antibody studies. They try to avoid everything because this would actually show that we are right. So what I'm trying to do is to show that our data is stronger than their arguments. And I think this is the only way we can win the fight. Well, absolutely, with, with actual facts. Um, I'd love for you to talk about the the studies that you've done on vitamin D and how effective it's been in COVID patients. This is something that I learned about early on uh, when COVID had hit and heard that high dosage vitamin C was incredibly beneficial to saving the lives of, of those who were suffering from COVID. And uh, recently you um, had had some graphs, some really great graphs about the vitamin D usage in patients versus patients of COVID who were in a group where they didn't receive anything. Um, would you like to speak to any of that at all? And, and as we come upon, you know, the cold and flu season and the next couple of weeks to months, uh, I know that a lot of people want to make sure that they're getting the adequate supplements that they need for their bodies to stay strong. So first of all, I think the flu season should be renamed to vitamin D deficiency season. Yeah. Um, because whenever you have a vitamin D deficiency, you, you can get ill because vitamin D is not a vitamin. It's a, it's a hormone which regulates your immune system. So whenever you have a, an adequate level of vitamin D, which I consider between 40 and 100 nanograms per milliliter, you most likely won't get sick because your immune system is always on alert. It's always active, to put it in very simple words. And what we can see in people who die with or from COVID or just die, okay? <laughs> because of whatever, I mean, like um, the symptoms of COVID are the symptoms of the flu and um, other diseases. So people who die with a positive uh, PCR test, they most likely to very, very high likelihood have vitamin D deficiencies, very severe vitamin D deficiencies of, of less than 10 nanograms per milliliter. And that's very, <laughs> that's very deficient. Um, so what the data shows is that in whenever someone is is ill or getting ill or getting hospitalized, you should treat them with vitamin D right away to get the levels to an adequate level. Um, because if you do it very late during the cause of the disease, it, it it's not that effective anymore because the body takes a while to to metabolize the vitamin D. 
mm-hmm. um, but I can just tell people, okay, supplementing is one thing, but just going outside into the sun for 20, 30 minutes a, a day and it should be fine. And if you live very far north or very far south in New Zealand, for example, it's smart to supplement during the winter season just to have an adequate level. And you mostly likely won't get sick. So I haven't, I haven't been sick for, uh, okay, uh, several months. I had, I had COVID, to be honest, or what mm-hmm. they call COVID. Um, I had to do a test because I had to fly. You know, I was flying anyways. Oh, so you had to. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know this. And I, I think I was ill for three hours. I was like, oh, oh what is this? I haven't been ill for 15 years. Three hours. And no, I was I was freezing. I took a hot shower and I was taking a nap and I was waking up ready. And you were I, I was, fine. I was, I was good again. I was fine. <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, there is something out there. People get sick or whatever. But uh, also, it was during the conference and I was... I was partying hard the night before, so maybe this was a hangover. <laughs> I know. Just that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, I believe that if you eat healthy, if you have um, adequate vitamin D level, if you exercise, you most likely won't even get ill. So mm-hmm. I think this is the way to go, and they don't want people to know. So we have data on ivermectin. We have data on vitamin D. We have we have data on quercetin, etc. So on, on, on many, I wouldn't call it alternative treatments because to me, a gene therapy is an alternative treatment, but something we know for, for decades, you know? Um, and yeah, the, the official narrative is like, don't do that. Um, vitamin D could be dangerous. Ivermectin could be dangerous. And I think this, this message is dangerous as such. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that um, even just what is the most preposterous thing is that we're seeing now all of these people like Dr. Burks backtracking on the things that they told the public two years ago when they were locked down in fear, being told not to go outside when you as a scientist and many doctors have said, absolutely not. Fresh air is good. The sunshine is good for you. All of the things that were good for us, we were told not to do during this period of time. And now we find out that the CDC director and Dr. Burks were just wishful thinking and hopeful thinking that um, this COVID experimental gene therapy was going to help. And in fact, now we're in a crisis where people are coming down with myocarditis and clots that are not made of human blood and, and all of these things. I know that there are attorneys that are working to to right this situation and to hold these people accountable. Um, and I'm hoping to see some real justice come through, especially as we've seen really a, a cry come out from across the world to this type of medical tyranny. It's not just in the United States. It's not just in Europe, um, but we're seeing it come from everywhere. Um, and Simon, you put out amazing, amazing content. Can you tell everybody where they can go to find uh, your channel and to keep in touch with you? So my channel, I usually use Telegram. So you can find me as Dr. Simon. And the channel name is like at Godek, G-O-D-D-E-K, which is my surname. Um, and I'm also on, on Getter, just like Dr. Simon, you will find me. Wonderful. Uh, any last words before we go today? Go outside and enjoy the sun. <laughs> Live your life. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today on Face the Facts. Appreciate you and all that you do. 
Thank you, April. Thanks so much for being here. Please make sure you share this episode with family and friends. And don't forget to check us out on Real America's Voice as well as all podcast platforms. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.